0: all right audra here's my topic for this week this is the best part of every every single sunday (laughs) the manic pixie dream girl (gasps) oh my god i can't (laughs) wait i literally can't wait i knew that was gonna be your reaction ellie take me on this journey (laughs) so so what what do you think of the term when you hear the term what comes up for you What comes up for me is purple eyeshadow and flowy skirts and meadows and like confusing girls, but I have never taken like a film class. I've never like studied Mandy Pixie Dream Girl. I don't know how it started. I don't know who coined the term. I don't know like how prevalent it is or like how it came to be. I just feel like I I just know it exists is what I know. I mean, I think that's the perfect level of um, info. All right. So talking about coining the term, Mm -hmm. the term was coined in 2007. Oh, that's recent. Yeah. By film critic Nathan Rabin, which doesn't mean that the trope didn't exist, Mm -hmm. but he gave it the name. I'm honestly surprised it was coined by a man. Yeah. That's so interesting. And he wrote for the A.V. Club. Have you ever heard of that like blog? No. It's like movie reviews and stuff. And he coined it after watching the movie Elizabethtown. I watched it for this and I had never seen it before. Uh, It's starring Kirsten Dunst and Orlando Bloom. Okay. So after watching that, he named Kirsten Dunst like the ultimate manic pixie dream girl and said, quote, she exists solely in the fevered imaginations of sensitive writer directors to teach broodingly soulful young men to embrace (laughs) life. And it's infinite mysteries and adventures. Oh, my God. That's right. That sounds exactly right. (laughs) Yeah. So he was writing it like he coined the term as a man, but as a critique of this is the best we can do. Like it's a sexist image of women. Completely. And so then he wrote an article in 2014, seven years later, titled, I'm sorry for coining the phrase Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Oh, so he was talking about Elizabethtown and how he felt that. He was so distracted by the preposterousness of the heroine Claire and her, quote, psychotically bubbly stewardess seemed to belong (laughs) in some magical otherworldly realm, hence the pixie part of the term. And he notes that it's an archetype that taps into a particular male fantasy of being saved from depression and ennui by a fantasy woman Mm -hmm. who sweeps in like a glittery breeze to save you from yourself and then disappears once her work is done. And apparently the term didn't actually gain traction after his article. It was the next year when one of his colleagues, Tasha Robinson, also from the AV Club, and she wrote a list of 16 films featuring the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Mm. And like I said, even though the term was coined in 2007, you can really find this trope everywhere for years. And she, Tasha, basically says like for every era, there is a Manic Pixie Dream Girl perfectly suited for the times. So some of the big ones... Our Elizabeth Town, because that's the one that you know Mm. got the term coined. Oh, Elizabeth Town is from two thousand five. Okay, Garden State, starring Natalie Portman, from two thousand four. Almost Famous, starring Kate Hudson, in two thousand, and even Breakfast at Tiffany's. (gasps) It's a great example. Yes. Oh my God, I was going to ask if that made the list. Yeah, Mm -hmm. such a great example. Audrey Hepburn, 1961. And then she names a couple other movies, some that I didn't know, but big names like Barbra Streisand, Goldie Hawn, Melanie Griffith, Meg Ryan, Catherine Hepburn, Charlie Theron, Winona Ryder. So it's clearly everywhere, but it was really all the rage in the early to mid 2000s in movies written and directed by white men Uh, big shocker you know and like maybe you would have more fleshed out women in your films if you hired women to write but to write women Mm -hmm. that's just me that's just me so (laughs) from that initial list of these actresses do you see any commonalities between all these people I mean they're white yes Um, (laughs) but I'm trying to think what other commonalities I I don't know I'm bad at pattern recognition I guess (laughs) It's not that deep. I was just like, when I was looking at the list, I was like, these are all white, thin, conventionally attractive, beautiful, young women. Mm -hmm. All of them. All of them. So some characteristics, classic characteristics of the Manic Picture Dream Girl, how we find her in movies. They're always quirky, eccentric, at times a little reckless. They're young and full of life and naivete, mostly white and thin. Maybe wearing purple eyeshadow. Maybe wearing purple (laughs) eyeshadow, (laughs) playing a ukulele. They have like random life philosophies. Oh, Very yes, like, you know. Yes, No, I know exactly what you're saying. Oh my God. One is coming to me and I don't even remember the movie and I'm sorry for not remembering the name, but one is coming to me where this girl goes on a date with a guy and she orders her dessert first and he's like, why? And she's like, because if I died five minutes from now, I would have wanted to eat my dessert. Yeah. Oh my God. What is that from? <laughs> I'm going to just quickly look that up because that's going to Yeah, we need me. to know remember me remember oh yeah and is Robert Pattinson in that yes yeah see that's 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 a perfect example Mm -hmm. like a very meaningless metaphor for life Mm -hmm. that sounds kind of cute because it's coming out of the mouth of this like beautiful blonde white girl Mm -hmm. but you think about it for two more seconds and you're like that is so stupid yeah (laughs) (laughs) just like eat your damn dinner that means nothing like what the hell (laughs)
1: Right. <laughs> or, or if you want to eat
0: sweets first, just be like, I like sweets. Don't right. come up with some <laughs> pseudo philosophy for life. Like, why are you going to die in five minutes at the restaurant? You're so annoying. Oh, God, like you're not interesting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they also seem to be pretty much flawless and just kind of here to show you what life can be like how to live your life as the adventure that it should be. Yeah, like very one-dimensional in that way. Yes, yes. Just mm-hmm. this source of excitement and newness. Mm-hmm. And they're always pretty much paired with these brooding, misunderstood sad boys that <laughs> are like, you know, down on their luck <laughs> and oh, God. need some girl to come in and, and give them some meaning. I'm laughing because it's just like... It's shocking how overdone this is, because mm-hmm. when the second you said sad boy, I feel like I was inundated mentally with images of all of these sad boys that I've read about in books and or seen on the screen. And I was like, or yeah, on we've, done <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've done this. Yeah. We've done this a hundred million times. Exactly. Like the classic guy who is shocked that you also have seen Pulp Fiction. And it's like, uh. you realize that that movie is very famous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You realize Tarantino is one of the biggest directors ever. So you're ever. not, you're not interesting. I'm not interesting. This is not what makes us interesting. <laughs> right. <laughs> so some oh, preliminary red flags with this trope, as you said, very one dimensional. And they really serve to further the development of the male lead in the movies. And they never really get fleshed out as their own whole person and since they aren't supporting characters this is what to me feels why it feels sexist because it's not a supporting character that you're writing as a tool to complicate the storyline of the actual protagonist it's the love interest so they're they're kind of co-starring in a movie right. and only the man really gets a deep storyline or we know where they're coming from why they're so sad <laughs> But we don't know why she's so quirky. No. We don't know why she's so full of life. We don't really know anything about the women. And honestly, this makes for extremely bland writing and yep. plots that are <laughs> super predictable. But there is, there is an obvious allure of escapism mm-hmm. with these characters. Like, it's very easy and inviting to love the idea of some charismatic, almost otherworldly person that for some reason just wants to give you all of their undivided attention and the idea that you could just be swept away from your mundane life to have adventures with a charming, beautiful person is super appealing. Yeah, and if she's so mystical... And serving all your needs but has none of her own that's also incredibly appealing because you don't have to think about any sort of like selflessness on your end or you don't have to think about the relationship being two-way you're just like oh my god this person is the answer to my problems and that is also incredibly enticing exactly so uh, this leads us right into Elizabethtown Early 2000s movie starring Orlando Bloom, Kirsten Dunst, beautiful Mm -hmm. people. Wow. Orlando is really a relic of the early 2000s, I feel like, at this point. I haven't seen him in ages. I know. (laughs) It was so funny because I was telling Cynthia about this because I was going to watch this movie. I was like, do you want to watch it with me and we can critique it together? And he was busy, but he was like, I'm so bummed I'm not going to watch this because I'm so confused why Orlando Bloom, after making Pirates of the Caribbean, made this shit. Like, What? Like, you're good, dude. Yeah, you don't... This trajectory does not make sense, my guy. So the story is Orlando Bloom, his character, he works for this big shoe company Hmm. owned by Alec Baldwin. Oh, of course. (laughs) And they just have revolutionized shoes. I don't really know what the hell that means. I feel like Alec's characters are always revolutionizing something. Exactly. (laughs) They're always, like, in charge of something weird. So he's kind of this up-and-coming star in the company, this young man, and he creates a design for a new shoe that's supposed to be amazing for the company and it ends up completely tanking and he has lost the company almost a billion dollars. Woof. So he gets fired and Alec Baldwin's basically like my company is not going to go down because of this. You need to go say that this was all your fault and we'll just pin you as the enemy and your career will be ruined and we'll be in the clear. So Orlando Bloom's like, great, my life is over, goes home with the intent to kill himself. Oh, yes. Sad boy. Sad boy. In a way that is extremely confusing. He has this like elliptical machine or bicycle or of some sort, and he tapes a knife to the front. And so his idea is he's going to pedal and the knife is going to like come at him. Wait, 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 wait. Is it a stationary bike? Like how is yes. that gonna work? I don't I don't know. He <laughs> it's some sort of lever is happening and he's gonna pedal and it's gonna make the lever go and he's just going to <laughs> when you're a sad boy but also a innovative designer. Yeah. <laughs> this it's is like, how it ends. <laughs> so weird. So So he gets on this bike. He's about to pedal himself into death and his phone keeps ringing. He's like, all right, I guess I can pause my suicide for a second and answer the phone. I guess I can take a quick call. Yeah. (laughs) What? (laughs) And it's his sister. She's sobbing. He's like, hey, can you call me tomorrow since I'm not going to be here? (laughs) And she's like, no, dad is dead dad died you're the oldest you need to come and take care of this so he's like all right I'm gonna go get my dad he was in Kentucky gonna go get my dad's body bury my dad and then I will come back to my bike and kill myself so off he goes and he gets on this plane he's the only one in the economy section the only one yeah I'm like how would this plane even fly what is going on here Um, okay Yeah. I feel like when you tell me stories, I always have logistical questions, and this is one. No, literally, I was thinking that, too. I was like, there is no chance that this plane is getting off the ground with just sad-ass Orlando Bloom. No, that's when that's when you get the, uh, the email or the call that's like, your flight information has changed. Because they fucking move you off the plane because it's not whatever this isn't the point of the podcast but just some logistical questions for said airline me too it's also in the spirit of lazy writing like how can we further the plot so that this flight attendant has to talk to orlando bloom we'll just make him the only person on the plane and we'll just suspend <laughs> suspend disbelief like we need a meet cube but we can't spend more than two minutes writing it exactly so the plane's <laughs> empty <you guys>. exactly <laughs> And so she comes over and she's like, I can move you up to first class because no one's here. He's like, I'm fine. And she's like, all right, let me put it this way. I'm super tired. Don't make me keep having to come back here. Come up to first class. I'm so cute. Uh, So he's like, fine. And he moves up to first class. And then even from that statement, her behavior around him is so inappropriate. Like if anybody was doing this to you on a plane, I'd be like, I'm being harassed. Leave me alone. Yeah, 100%. And it's one of those things where... If she wasn't really gorgeous, we'd be much more uncomfortable. The same with men when we're like, if you're hot, it's flirty. And if you're not, it's creepy. Yeah, you were talking about that recently with The Notebook, how when Ryan Gosling's character is like hanging from the Ferris wheel. And says he's going to kill himself or something. If uh, he's going to jump off, he's going to let go. Yeah, you need to go on a date with me, otherwise I'm jumping. And we all, at least I, as a young person watching it for the first time, did think that was the pinnacle of romance. Mm -hmm. And then now, with our critical feminist eyes, you were like, no, that shit's creepy, and it only works because Ryan Gosling's conventionally hot. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. She's being creepy, but she's pretty, so yeah. she gets away with it. <laughs> and 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 just like totally inappropriate. Like she sits him in first class and then starts asking him why he's going to Louisville, Kentucky, and what you know, what's up, and blah, blah, blah. And then sits down next to him and is like, I'm gonna draw you a map to where you need to go. And it's like touching him. And when he gets off the plane, she kind of follows him off the plane and is screaming down the airport hallway are you okay to drive? He's like, yeah, I'm all set. And she's like, don't forget. Like, don't miss this exit. This exit. Don't miss it. I'm like, you are so weird. What are you doing? It's a little too much. (laughs) At this point, he's completely like, all right, gotcha. So he's freaked out. He's not freaked out, but he's just kind of like dismissive. Okay. And she's sitting there all cute. Like we're supposed to find it somehow endearing, Mm. but I find it very inappropriate. Yeah. (laughs) So basically, you know, he goes off to deal with his extended family and all of the things that come along with when a family member passes and all the logistical stuff. Also, the best part of this movie is that his mom is played by Susan Sarandon, who I love. Oh, we love her. (laughs) And she's... I wish the movie had just been about her because she's dealing with being a widow and she kind of starts life up again. She starts signing up for a bunch of stuff and she gives a speech at the memorial about how she was saying like I just wish that I had been funnier and I realized that having fun and being funny mm. is kind of a skill and you need to work at it so I signed up for a comedy class and everyone oh. laughs and she's like I know I'm the oldest one there but I'm having so much fun and I'm learning how to tap dance and I'm learning how to grow organic food and you see little bits of her really failing at certain things like trying to grow organic and everything's going to shit and I'm like I would have loved a movie about this widow trying to be like okay I was sort of In the rut of this relationship, I've lost my partner. What do I do with the rest of my life? Yeah. Give me the Susan Sarandon widow spinoff. Give it to me. I'd watch it. Ugh. Anyway, he starts getting kind of emo, and he just wants somebody to talk to, and he calls Claire, the Kirsten Dunst character, because she wrote her number on the little map that she drew. So they start talking on the phone. This is another thing that was confusing to me, given that it's 2005. They talk on the phone for like three hours. Oh. Like, who's paying for this? This is expensive. <laughs> Do you have rollover minutes from last <laughs> month, <question mark>? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> so they talk on the phone and it's this cute montage of them each in their house, like cleaning something up or doing the laundry or whatever as they chat. And... As the audience, you're supposed to, I imagine, get that they're really getting to know each other, but we get no information. So we don't know what she's saying or we don't get to know her. We have no idea what her backstory is. He, I imagine, is learning something about her. Who knows? And there's certain moments that felt almost like moments of clarity to me or at least acknowledging how Manic Pixie Dream Girl-esque this whole thing is when they're on the phone she says things like, no one is as mysterious as they think they are. I was like, okay. It seems self-aware. And she also says, do you ever feel like you're fooling everyone? And I'm like, oh. Okay. okay. Yeah. This is a performance. We're all yeah. performing something. I like it. Yeah. And I think I've been asleep most of my life, which I was like, I think kind of that she's not even really living life. Mm, okay. Which seems to put them more on an even playing field in a way. Like, they're both kind of going through the motions, even though she seems like this super eccentric person. Mm. And she says, maybe this whole thing is better on the phone. Like, maybe we should never meet again. Oh. And I was like, oh, great. This is like acknowledging the fantasy and that this moment of you having this cathartic phone call with someone isn't actually a relationship. And it doesn't really exist past this one moment, this like shared virtual space. Yeah, I yeah. actually I feel like I've had flirtation flirtationships in the past where it's only fun because you get to be a very curated, perfect version of yourself. Yes. And it's only fun because you very specifically don't have to be vulnerable or intimate with this person and you get to make them think you're music cultured or whatever else, mm-hmm. whatever else would elicit. You're not like other girls. Like you you get to be always looking your best, always thinking of cute things to say. You're not tired. You're not cranky. And like, that's what's fun about it. And I kind of, I kind of am drawn to that. Like, yeah, maybe this is better on the phone. Like maybe this mm-hmm. is just like a fun thing that we acknowledge is totally like a propped up performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of just an indulgent thing to do. It's very easy to pretend to be somebody on the phone or on one date or for two months. But it's like eventually (laughs) everybody has baggage and problems and whatever it is. Not that we'll ever see that from Claire, but of course, I digress. (laughs) 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 So in this moment, I was like, wait a second. She seems kind of self-aware, even though I still don't know anything about her. She's making these comments. Maybe she was poorly judged for being a manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. Maybe Nathan got it wrong. Yeah. And She says, you know, maybe this is better on the phone and then goes, or (laughs) it's already kind of, they've been talking all night. Like it's almost dawn and they should go to sleep. And she's like, but at this point, maybe it would just be easier to stay up. We're only like 45 minutes away from each other. Do you want to meet? And of course proposes this fun, exciting, let's meet in the middle of the night as the sun comes up thing. I'm like, girl, we were so so close. close. (laughs) We were so close. So, of course, he does. He jumps out of bed like, heck yeah, let's go. Okay, so now he's into it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he called her. True. And I think he just needed somebody to talk to and then was like, I'm so intrigued by this girl that's so much more outgoing than I am and confident and fun. Now I want to watch a Kentucky sunrise with her. Exactly. And so they meet up. They're both technically in like weird relationships. Like he was sort of with a girl that worked at his... Former company, and she's Uh. a little bit dismissive now that he's been dethroned. Right. And she apparently has a boyfriend who is super in his career and doesn't really show up for her. So they're both in these weird relationships. So they're not fully single, but you know, they meet up, and there's another fun montage of them doing quirky things like running around giggling in a cemetery. (laughs) (sighs) Oh my gosh. I'm like, what? I'm already tired. This isn't fun. Just because you jump doesn't mean it's fun. (laughs) Do they, like, tumble into the grass? Yes! Oh, my God! Or Landon literally just flops down onto the grass in the cemetery. Like, I think this might be considered disrespectful. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) And so they close out the day sort of walking in town. It's nighttime. I'm sorry. Wait. So they stayed up all night on the phone? Yes. Then they spend the day together frolicking. I no matter how energizing i find flirting i would have been asleep at noon <laughs> like what I, the fuck i wish we could have like a logistical nightmare counter like yeah. like <laughs> like a tally of all the things that make no sense that the white white dude writer and director it's just like it's fine no one's going to notice that they haven't slept in 48 hours you know they have like continuity managers on set like so that between takes if you're writing with a pen in your right hand Yeah. and then the next take you put in your left hand so the continuity manager whatever will come up and be like um ellie you had that in your right hand
1: last dumbass. time please switch <laughs> yeah
0: so they like work on continuity i feel like i want to spearhead like Logistical manager, yes, who just watches shit and is like, um, ha- Have we thought about whether they need a nap? They should take a nap at this part of the film because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> That's a great career path, that'd be so fun. <laughs> I also am bad at like conceptualizing things on my own, but I love critiquing, so I feel like it also uh, yeah. neatly fits into that. <laughs> oh, perfect! So much more fun to critique, so much more fun. <laughs> So they have this other little pseudo deep conversation about, you know, the weird relationships that they're in. And she says that she's always a substitute person. She's never like the main character in the lives of the people that she's with, like in relationships. Mm. And she's always a substitute to someone's career, like with her current boyfriend or whatever else it is. And that she kind of likes it like that Mm. because it's less pressure And that she likes being on her own. And she says this in response to him saying that she's great. And she's like, I don't need the compliment. Mm. Like she responds. Another moment where I was like, oh, hold on. Are we getting somewhere? And she's like, I don't need I don't need an ice cream cone. He's like, what do you mean? And she's like, you know, something sweet and nice, but it's going to melt. In two seconds. Oh. And I was like, oh, all right, cool. She's self-aware. She realizes that she isn't really the main character. She's just sort of there as a substitute to whatever other people are really caring about in their life. And so I thought that was, again, going to be this moment. But then she takes it in this way of like she almost is saying, I'm okay with being this fill your gaps kind of person. Like I'm almost okay with being the Manic Pixie Dream Girl and not having a life of my own that you are invested in. Just being this substitute person. I see. So it's less like I don't want your frothy and maybe insincere compliments. And it's less like, and I know how to derive my own fulfillment and like seek out my own goals and more just like, I'm happy being one dimensional and like unimportant. (laughs) Don't worry about complimenting me. I'm here for you.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, God. Like, almost. So close. So close, Claire. Yeah. And then they have another very close moment, but the phrase we hate comes in where he literally says... Don't say it. Don't say it. I'm not used to girls like you. Like, what girls have you been talking to? (laughs) All girls are interesting. Every fucking one I've ever met. Like, who are you talking to? Maybe he's not used to girls that have no backstory. That makes more sense. (laughs) Who just appeared out of nowhere. Most girls have problems and, and, yeah. and, and families and friends. Yeah. <laughs> and she's always by herself. <laughs> Good point. And she responds, that's because I'm one of a kind. Ugh. But she says it kind of in a jokey way. And he says, you don't need to make a joke. I like you without the jokes. And I was like, oh. Okay, again, you giving me these teasers of him Mm -hmm. saying, like, you don't need to be all jokey and fun. Like, I like you even without that, even though we have no evidence to that because they've only hung out for like a day and all they do is have fun and jokey and he doesn't actually know her. But right. How the fuck would he know? Yeah, they just have more kind of movie moments, whatever. And then she says this phrase at another point. I'm hard to forget, but I'm impossible to remember, which also feels very self-aware of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope of. They all have this quirky, lively, whatever vibe that the men yep. get super obsessed with. So it's like hard. That image, that ideal is hard for them to forget about because yeah. she's every fantasy but she's actually very hard to remember because as a human you have no information about her. So she is simultaneously very forgettable because all that you will remember is just how she made you feel, not who she is. Yeah, it's like this like sticky residue of like philosophy and feelings and like fantasy mm-hmm. but no actual details about her as a human being. Exactly. And they never, I mean, they share a couple of kisses, but they're still sort of in their own relationships. And I think they sleep together, but it still seems like, okay, we're acknowledging that this is just a moment in time, Mm -hmm. which I was like, okay, maybe this will end with them just parting ways. And, you know, they don't uproot their whole lives to be together for this weird little flirty fantasy moment that they had. Right. And she's like, you know, you got to go back to Oregon and I got to go be a flight attendant. So... Bye. And so now he's going home after, you know, putting his dad to rest. And it, it's ending with she makes him a road trip playlist and map to get back to Oregon. Another map. I know. So she makes him the super quirky, you know, stop here for the best chili and like music to go along with everything. And he's just having a blast following her map. And I'm like, great. This will be the last cutesy thing. And no, they steal my ending oh. and she sends him to this farmer's market, which doesn't look like a farmer's market to me at all. It looks like a flea market mixed with a state fair. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, this is, I see no produce. Yeah. You're <laughs> like, where are the apples? <laughs> yeah. Like, what's going on? She's like, go to the book stand. I'm like, farmer's market book stand. So she's like, go to the book stand, find this book, open it. And there's like a little clue in the book and it says, go to the shoe stand. And there's a shoe on display of the shoe that he had created that's about to be this huge failure. And she's like, look inside the shoe. There's another little clue. And it says, you're now at a fork in the road. You can follow the rest of the directions and get home. Or you can look for a girl in a red hat with like an alternate plan. Oh, no. So, of course, he's looking for the girl in the red hat. And he sees claire and they run into each other's arms and kiss and that's the end of the movie and i'm like well no shit you're not going to go back to oregon where your life is falling apart when you have the option of cute blonde girl is gonna whisk you away into fantasy land and also like low-key play fairy godmother because she's writing you like philosophical advice yeah i would also like to see a movie of what happens right after this Yes. you know What are the logistical things? Do you move to Oregon with this guy? She's a flight attendant. You're never going to see her. Do you stay in Kentucky, which I think is her home base? Mm -hmm. Do we ever learn anything about her? Does this relationship have any ground to stand on when you know nothing about each other and you met at a time where he was very vulnerable because he lost his job and his dad in the same day? Right. And you are just a happy coincidence that brightened his week. That doesn't mean that this is true love and you're going to get married and be together forever. Have you ever watched the movie The Graduate? No. Okay, it's really good. I think it's Dustin Hoffman, and everyone quotes it all the time because I think it was like a 60s or 70s movie. And the ending is kind of one that I think would really satisfy all of the questions you're asking about this movie, where it doesn't end at the moment of like reuniting of pure bliss. It ends at the moment after where you sort of see reality sink in into the expressions Mm -hmm. of the two main people. And they're sort of like, what the fuck have we done? Mm -hmm. Like, we don't know what we just got ourselves into. And it's unsatisfying in that way, but it's so much more realistic. And it leaves, in that sense, so many fewer questions at the end. That is so funny that you mentioned that movie because it's also a segue into the next movie we're going to talk about. (gasps) Am I a psychic? (laughs) I mean, it's just the chemistry. We're just flowing and bouncing off of each other, man. (laughs) Yeah, the, the energy we've created here. Is amazing. <gasps> so that was Elizabeth Town. Any... I mean, I think you kind of gave us some parting words, but any other feelings that you have towards that movie, how I described it, how it contextualizes Manic Pixie Dream Girl for you? I think it's interesting that this is what coined the term because I feel like I've seen so many movies where it's almost even more overdone mm-hmm. and even more over the top. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting to me that like, this is what in 2007 catalyzed that term mm-hmm. when there are so many, so many really, really over the top manic pixie dream girls from the entire 20th century, frankly. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting mm-hmm. that this like not watered down version of a manic, manic pixie dream girl, but like relatively run of the mill manic pixie dream girl is what like got this whole thing going. Yeah. I was surprised, too, because I had never heard of this movie. Yeah. Like when I picture Manic Pixie Dream Girl, I feel like I have a ton of movies that come to mind and it's I've never heard of Elizabeth Town. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was super shocked because also transitioning to the next movie, when I first heard the term, it was always in the context that Zoe Deschanel is essentially the poster child for the Manic Pixie Dream Girl and that it kind of started with her role as Summer Finn in 500 Days of Summer and this is the example that i think ties into nathan's comment of i'm sorry that i made this term mm.
1: he apologizes
0: for it because he said that he essentially made it such a vague term that it kind of snowballed into not being a, a critique of these sexist tropes but a term that could then be thrown at characters that aren't really manic pixie dream girls and then turned into this like dismissive stereotype Oh, so that like then it's not writers who are catching flack for this trope. It's it becomes actors or people like Zoe Deschanel who are like mm-hmm. dismissed as being manic pixie dream girls rather than teams of writers that don't have women on them being critiqued. Yeah, like in the effort to critique this pigeonholing of women, the term got so co opted and so misused that it became the pigeonhole itself. Mm-hmm. Of like, now we're going to put all women in this box. And he was like, no, I'm, I'm identifying the box so we can break out of the box. Mm. And when thinking about, you know, when I first heard this term associated to this movie, I was like, this to me feels like a huge example of how the term has been so widely used that it inevitably became misused because I think that she is the antithesis of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl or she has the qualities of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, but kind of attacks the essence of it, which is that they just serve to further the emotional right. development of a man. Yeah, that feels like the crux of the definition. And so if it if she doesn't only serve to further the development of a man, then she can't be. Exactly. So I'm going to send you a clip. I can't wait. This is the opening scene of 500 Days of Summer. Have you seen 500 Days of Summer? So long ago, I don't remember it. Okay, so this is the opening scene. Start at 40 seconds. Okay.
1: This is a story of boy meets girl. The boy, Tom Hanson of Margate, New Jersey, grew up believing that he'd never truly be happy until the day he met the one.
0: Very sad boy.
1: This belief stemmed from early exposure to sad British pop music and a total misreading of the movie The Graduate.
0: (gasps) The Graduate! Yeah. The
1: girl, Summer Finn of Shinnecock, Michigan, did not share this belief. Since the disintegration of her parents' marriage, she'd only loved two things. The first was her long, dark hair. The second was how easily she could cut it off. Oh my God, she
0: just cut off a chunk of hair.
1: (laughs) Tom meets Summer on January 8th. He knows almost immediately she's who he's been searching for. This is a story of boy meets girl You should know up front, this is not a love story.
0: Okay. So what did you, what would you expect from the setup of this film? I would expect, I mean, first of all, I loved his very beige sweater vest. I feel like that added to the sad boy boy vibes. (laughs) Yeah, he also had like unstyled hair just like clumped on his forehead. We love. But... I think I would expect it because they say this is not a love story, Mm -hmm. I would expect it to be a critique of the idea Mm -hmm. that someone in your life serves the purpose of fulfilling you Mm -hmm. and you're supposed to find the one and your life only starts when you find the one. And it it presents this dichotomy of he believes that, but she doesn't. And Mm -hmm. so the meta narrative seems to be his belief might not be right Mm. and she might, if this is not a love story, might not love him back. So I guess I would expect, I, I don't know, I, I guess maybe I would expect that if she is sort of like a Manic Pixie Dream Girl type character, I would still expect that they're maybe criticizing that mm-hmm. rather than kind of suggesting that women are like this or should mm-hmm. be like this. Totally. Totally. Yeah, so in this intro, we definitely see the brooding white dude. Totally. He's, like, slouched in his chair. Mm-hmm. He's almost asleep. You can tell he's like, wow, fuck this job. hmm And he's just waiting. Like, no proactiveness. You know, he's just waiting around. Yeah, it's very poor me. It's so passive.
1: hmm <laughs>
0: Waiting for this, like, magical, ethereal woman to swoop in and do all of the emotional labor. <laughs> Which is something and- <laughs> that just, like, oh, my God, it bothers me. This... Uh- that's something that bothers me a lot and I feel like is something men and boys think is like, I am entitled to a perfect woman and mm-hmm. I'm just going to wait for her to show up. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm, eh, mm, that's not really how it works. If you're uninterested and lazy and bored by life and like deeply unhappy, that's a you problem. Yeah. Like you can't just wait around for a perfect woman to come fucking fix it for you. Preach, preach. <laughs> Yeah, so he's waiting for somebody to change his life around, which, yeah, is a a very reasonable expectation. Dude, go to therapy. (laughs) Go to fucking therapy. That's what I kind of want all these movies to (laughs) just have a label. If you are a man struggling with his identity, with life, with his emotions... Therapists can help. Women that you project your ideals onto cannot. (laughs) We should start like a letter writing campaign where we get all of these movies to have a disclaimer in the like intro credits that says, if you are a sad boy. (laughs) Here is a hotline. Yeah. (laughs) The sad boy hotline. And we answer and we're like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Go to therapy. Bye. (laughs) So this whole movie is basically a boy meets girl story. He meets Summer. They start flirting. They get into a sort of relationship, but she is very clear, like, I'm not looking for something serious. And he, of course, is like, I'm sure she really is. I can change her mind. Totally. She must not really mean that. And they're always struggling with him wanting something that she doesn't want to offer. And her being kind of like, I don't know what to tell you. I said I don't want this. Mm hmm. And why it really bugs me that Summer gets characterized as a Manic Pixie Dream Girl is that she is this deconstruction of the trope. Right. In the sense that we see her as a Manic Pixie Dream Girl through Tom's eyes, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. But we see like through his eyes, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. But as an audience member, we see throughout the movie how she really isn't. And certainly is not interested in... Stifling her own desires of her life to accommodate Tom's worldview. And she explicitly tells him this. And explicitly tells him that she disagrees with his ideals. Mm. So we see through his eyes what he thinks of her, which Mm -hmm. is the classic Manic Pixie Dream Girl. And then we zoom out and have this more macro view of why that won't work and why that is a fucking problem. Yeah, exactly. And there's an iconic scene where they're in an elevator. He's wearing headphones and he's listening to the Smiths. Oh, of course. There's always music. And so she kind of overhears through his headphones And she goes, oh, I love The Smiths. And he's like, what? She's like, The Smiths. You have really good taste in music. I love The Smiths. And then she walks out of the elevator and he goes, oh, fuck. Like, shit. I met the girl. I'm like, The Smiths is, everybody knows The Smiths. It's a very big band. Like, you're not. And also, even if it wasn't, having such a small thing in common." I know. <laughs> it's so heap, weird. to heap so many expectations on a person just because they knew the music you were listening to. Can you even imagine to be like, oh, this is the moment my life yeah. turns around. Like, oh my God, relax. This must mean she likes everything else that I like. We get the oh. same coffee order. She must also have divorced parents. And <laughs> like, oh my God, she knows a very oh. popular band. That's all. That's all the information. Mm-hmm. Period. <laughs> enough jeez and then there's another scene they're at a bar with tom summer and tom's friend and they're all kind of drunk and tom's friend sort of leans into summer and is like do you have a boyfriend and she's like no and he asks why not and she says cuz i don't want one and he like scoffs at her and is like i don't believe that because of course women there's no chance that a woman could not want to be with a guy. He's like a woman with autonomy. No, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) I don't think that tracks. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, she says, oh, you don't believe that a woman could enjoy being free and independent. Oh, go summer. Yeah. Which he responds with a very lame and problematic dude response of, are you a lesbian? Oh, of course. (laughs) Which I'm like, you're so stupid and boring. (laughs) And she says, no, I just don't feel comfortable being anyone's girlfriend. I don't actually feel comfortable being anyone's anything. Okay. Which is a little similar to Claire in Elizabethtown being like, I'm a substitute person or I don't need to be somebody's something. I'm, I'm cool being alone, whatever. But Summer is saying it from a much more autonomous place. Like, I really, I'm just not interested in that. I don't want to be anybody's thing, mm-hmm. whether it's your girlfriend, whatever. I don't want to belong to people. I don't want to feel like I need to fulfill a role for somebody else. Right. And Tom is just staring at her with these puppy dog eyes that you can just kind of tell he's thinking like, ah, but I will be the exception. Oh, God. (laughs) And he asks her, but what if you fall in love? And she surprisingly responds with, you don't believe that, do you? And I say surprising just because it's surprising that the female lead in a rom-com is not love obsessed. Yeah. And he says like, it's love, not Santa Claus. Like, what do you mean? You don't believe in love? (laughs) And she says, love doesn't exist. It's a fantasy. Like, very much naming the fantasy. And yeah. And she talks about how she hasn't really seen love in, in relationships and that, you know, relationships are messy and people's feelings get hurt and that she likes being on her own and she just doesn't need that kind of drama in her life. She says this very explicitly. Which is super fair, especially I'm a child of divorce. I think I also felt that way for a long time, but... Something I've always believed, especially following my parents' divorce, is, like, not necessarily that I don't believe in love, but that, like, it is fucking messy. And also, it's not your primary goal. Like, you're... you're single greatest adventure as a woman is not falling in love. It's simply not. And maybe it's like this iconic friendship that you have, like Oprah and Gail. Or maybe it's like your amazing career or something. Like everyone has other adventures. Mm -hmm. And this is, I mean, really the first time I'm hearing of a quote unquote rom-com where the girl is not love obsessed or Mm -hmm. thinks her main adventure isn't finding the one. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And especially one that isn't like a friends with benefits type of setup of we're not looking for love, but eventually I cave to what we all know is true, that women are just waiting around for the one. Which, may I just say, maps neatly onto rape culture, where it's like she says she doesn't want it, but she will one day. No, no. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. No, 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 no. And when she says this, that she doesn't believe in love, when the camera shows Tom's face, he just looks at her with this, like, I just fell straight on my ass into love with you. And I'm like, what? Like, she's a project almost. Like, I'm going to get, I love her. I'm obsessed with her. So she must eventually love me. Like, I'm entitled to her love because I love her. And it, like, emboldens him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like also when you're a white man and you haven't been denied too much, you're like, nah, this will work out. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. So I feel like she spends the movie really like shattering the stereotype left and right. And Tom just continues to like cast her in this role in his mind because it fits his narrative and his desires. And he spends the whole movie being disappointed when she doesn't meet the expectations that he set. And she clearly said she didn't want to meet. Which it sounds like is really productive. I mean, it sounds like the intended takeaway for the audience is like, Y'all will be fucking disappointed if you expect a manic pixie dream girl to come in and solve your problems. Exactly. And there are really cool scenes where the screen is split between expectation and reality. Mm. And there's one scene, for example, he's at this like rooftop party or whatever. And the screen of expectation is Summer kind of like running up to the rooftop and like running into his arms. And they're there having this beautiful rooftop moment and reality is she doesn't show up and he's there by himself drinking a beer and he's like angry at her which is also there. there's like a scene of him smashing plates because she dumps him and he's just so depressed and angry even though she very clearly was like this is not what i want and it's to me feels not to be so drama but like a light version of what incel culture is like and yes when that festers this anger towards a woman for not serving you romantically the way that you want to and expecting that that's what she has to do just because you want it, it yeah it, it, you're it, mad at her for not meeting your internal fantasy yeah of her Mm -hmm. she never promised she would do this Mm -hmm. she explicitly said she didn't want to Mm -hmm. and you've built this imaginary world up so much that you're so angry at her you break a plate or two Mm -hmm. or five like Mm -hmm. i mean that's scary that you literally think like she owes you Mm -hmm. and there's a scene where he's like talking to this other girl about it about how like summer's such a bitch for leaving him and the girl's like wait but you weren't in a relationship and he's like well no not really whatever she didn't cheat on you no and she told you she didn't believe in love or want to be with someone (laughs) and he's like yeah and she just kind of stares at him like do i need to draw you a a claire map to the point (laughs) (laughs) Like, like hello dude so, it, I mean, me as an audience member, I clearly see, like, he is not the villain, but he's in the wrong. You know, he's not seeing things as they are. He's seeing them as he is and not understanding or not wanting to acknowledge the autonomy of Summer and that she's her own person with her own beliefs and doesn't exist to fulfill his fantasy and... That a person can't just come in and fix you. And that's what I take away from this movie. But when this movie came out, there was a huge sort of internet Tumblr-esque backlash on Summer. And so many people watching the movie hated Summer's character... And thought that she was a bitch for leaving Tom. And there's an interview with Joseph Gordon-Levitt where he says, like, I think people are really misinterpreting this movie. Like, Tom is in the wrong. It's his fault. Like, she said he didn't take her at her word, Mm -hmm. which to me brings up a very sexist problem of not not believing what women say, but rather Mm -hmm. thinking that you know what she really wants better than she does. Mm -hmm. and then getting mad at women when they demonstrate any sort of agency and take it as a personal attack on yourself. Right. Also, they don't end up together. And I would argue that that's a really good romantic ending and more happy of an ending because Tom eventually has to realize that Summer was a human being the whole time and that she's not there to fill in the gaps of his life. So I think this movie is really great. I think it's a really good romantic movie. I think it highlights all the issues with the Maddie Pixie Dream Girl. Mm-hmm. And then summer and Zoe Deschanel, like there's also interviews of Zoe Deschanel being told like you've been labeled an indie boy's dream, and her being like, okay, like relax, fucking like stop typecasting me. When this movie that typecasting me is this is literally trying to show that this is a dumb fantasy. It doesn't work out. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Is I feel like the audience backlash post release so conveniently fucking proves why we need this movie because. It seems like everyone has so long bought into Tom's philosophy of we are supposed to end up with the girl. That is supposed to be us riding away into the sunset mm-hmm. and Summer is not supposed to leave that they still get mad at her. Like they're as mad at her as Tom is mm-hmm. and completely missing the point because of how long we have been conditioned by rom-coms to think... Otherwise, I guess mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. just it just feels like the audience reaction literally proves the movie's point and mm-hmm. is such clear evidence of why we fucking need to subvert that narrative. hmm. Mm-hmm. And to cover all my bases, there is also an image of the manic pixie dream boy. OK. We were talking earlier about Noah in the notebook yes. doing stuff like hanging off the Ferris wheel, social date him, doing this like eccentric thing or the scene where they lie on the street And she's like, get up. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, come on. You need to live a little. And she in that movie is the more, you know, I'm reserved and Mm. I come from a good family or whatever. And then this man comes in and just sweeps me away into the adventure that life could be. You have him. You have Jack in Titanic. That's the same kind of thing for Rose. Like, you can leave your stifling Mm. life of wealth and be a vagabond like me and just run around the world having adventures or... I think the most annoying example is Augustus Waters in The Fault in Our Stars. Oh, yeah. Who is just full of random, meaningless, stupid metaphors. <laughs> Back to the dumb philosophies on life. The stupid thing about putting a cigarette in your mouth. Because if somebody doesn't know what The Fault in Our Stars is, it's a book then turned into a movie about two kids with cancer that fall in love and they leave one of their sort of group therapy sessions. And the girl looks at the guy, Augustus, and he's putting his like taking out a cigarette. She's like, what the hell are you doing? You have cancer. And he says that he puts cigarettes in his mouth and says, you put the killing between your lips, but you never give it the power to kill you. Oh, my fucking God. He doesn't light the cigarette. And he's like, it's a metaphor. I'm like, what? No, it's not. You're weird. Hey, first of all, it's not. And second of all, like, it's so calculated to stand outside after, like, therapy when there's, like, this girl you're possibly mm-hmm. interested in and just, like, side eye her and pull out to sig, yeah. put it to your lips. And it's like, you do this in public? Yeah. Like, that's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. And in those movies where you have a manic pixie dream boy, for example, a Titanic, we get a little bit more of the backstory on Rose. She's a wealthy woman. Mm-hmm. She's has to get married to this guy she doesn't want to be married to. She feels stifled. We we get a little more character development of her than we do of Jack. And mm-hmm. he serves as this escapism. And the reason I bring this up is I still think that this confirms the sexist nature of the Manic Pixie Dream girl. Okay. Because I don't think this is a, well, there are also Manic Pixie Dream boys, so it's sexist against men. I think it's still sexist against women. Mm-hmm. Because when we write women as the main character... And then decide that the love interest that a woman would want is a manic pixie dream boy that is also not listening to a woman's narrative of what mm. she might want in a relationship that oh i guess like if we're gonna make the woman the main character she must want this guy that like it's still written by men like we like when somebody comes in and fixes us so i guess that's what <laughs> women will like too that's what they must want you know yeah, i actually saw something interesting and i say that as if it's me being cultured it was a tiktok so don't worry about it but <laughs> someone made a tiktok about the female gaze versus the male gaze uh-huh. and They were talking about how men trying to understand women's desires end up using the male gaze on men and like Mm -hmm. creating characters that women don't fall in love with. Mm -hmm. But men written by women are so much more desirable. And they mentioned how there's this thing where in Marvel, have you seen any of the Marvel movies? Yeah. You know Thor? Yes. And you know Loki? Yes. So they are these two brothers. Thor is like incredibly ripped and like Mm -hmm. very... Classically attractive and Mm -hmm. strong, and sort of whatever. And then Loki is sort of mischievous and.
1: Loki is low
0: key (laughs) mischievous. (laughs) Exactly. I'm obsessed with him. But something that people have been looking into is, like, why so many women came away just enthralled by Loki and Mm -hmm. not by Thor. Because I think a lot of male writers were like, but Thor has strong pecs. (laughs) Like, what's the deal? What else do you want? Women are so selfish. (laughs) Anyway, the the point being, I am with you. And I really agree that, like, men trying to write men that women desire is not letting women talk about what they desire <laughs> totally and i and i think it goes back to you know writers rooms and directors and all of this of like okay fine we'll make more movies starring women but we'll still have men write it so it, it's not a good example mm-hmm. for us it doesn't feel resonant <laughs> of not at all. how we live our lives even jesse in in pitch perfect the main character is anna kendrick she's kind of this dark moody sad girl And Jesse, the love interest, is this super quirky, I'm so fun, we also never get his backstory, I just Mm -hmm. like to sing, and I'm going to come in and make you all excited about acapella. And cheer you up. And cheer you up. And and that's like the whole relationship. And since that movie is like fun and has a bunch of music, you do root for them. But when you think about it, like we don't know any information about this man except that he likes movies, which again Mm -hmm. is a very huge thing to like (laughs) and is one thing one characteristic and she doesn't right. even like movies so it's not even a commonality oh, um, <laughs> and so writing him as this must be what a, a woman must also need a guy to sweep in and make her happy about life and I'm like why do all these movies why is always somebody sad and somebody happy in it it's still a bad image of a relationship because it's expecting that somebody else can come in and hold your hand through life and just cheer you up and then you'll be happy uh-huh. and it's when it's a Manny Pixie Dream Girl, a terrible depiction of what women are because it's just a weird, ideal male fantasy of a girl. Mm-hmm. And then when we write Manny Pixie Dream Boys to be paired with potentially interesting female characters, we diminish that interesting part about them. Like I think the character of Rose and Titanic, the the beginning, when you're seeing how she feels and how stuck she feels, and that she would literally fling herself off a boat into the freezing water and die, then be married to the super rich guy. Mm-hmm. There's so much juiciness there of wanting to understand there's her. There's so much there, and then the only way we really learn to understand her is hot Leonardo DiCaprio comes in, they dance to an Irish jig, and then he dies. Like, yeah, <laughs> okay.
1: Lit. Spoiler alert:
0: he dies. Yeah. Spoiler alert: the boat sinks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, but you're you're so right. Like, it's still all male-funded, male-written movies about their ideas of what romance is supposed to be, regardless of which character is the Manic Pixie Dream, whoever. Mm-hmm. If it's male-funded, male-written movies about romance, you're still not listening to women. Yeah. Coming back to Nathan sort of apologizing for the term, a lot of the criticism of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl present day today, that term. Mm-hmm is that now it gets thrown onto lots of characters that are women that don't actually fit the trope in the way that Nathan was describing it with somebody like Claire in Elizabethtown. And that now any character, kind of like Summer Finn in 500 Days of Summer, any character that happens to like a certain type of music or is kind of quirky is, oh, okay, she's a mad Pixie Dream girl, Mm -hmm. which is still dismissive of there are women in the world that are quirky. That doesn't right. mean that they aren't also <laughs> deep and interesting. And there's... Have you ever watched the show New Girl with Zoe Deschanel? Yes. Okay. Yes. You know that scene in season one, Nick, one of the boys that Jess lives with, is dating this lawyer. Uh-huh. And she... The lawyer is, you know, super hardcore and cool. And she seems to be kind of threatened by Jess and makes some comment at Jess about how she's sort of this Maddie Pixie Dream Girl kind of comment towards her of like, Well, you just live in the clouds and you're not even a real person or whatever. And Jess has this little moment where she responds to her because Jess does as like throughout new girl is extremely quirky, like adorable and Mm -hmm. very manic and very manic pixie dream girl esque in a way. But she has this moment where she looks at this lawyer girl and she's like, yeah, I rock a lot of polka dots and yeah, I've touched glitter in the last 24 hours or whatever. But that doesn't mean that I'm not strong and independent and awesome. And and that doesn't mean that I'm any less of a cool woman with depth. And deserving of love and that I don't have feelings and all this stuff. So I think now the term gets so misused that... Yeah, it's almost like weaponized, I think, to make the feminine seem frivolous, which is something I hate. Yes. I do not think doing makeup is any less fucking yes. frivolous than watching golf, which is the most boring thing I could ever yes. conceive of in my life. Yes. And yet, we use it completely to illegitimize all of these women. Exactly. And so now, anytime there's a character who decides to dye her hair, oh, well, we're going to dismiss everything about her. It's <sighs> just another Manic Pixie Dream Girl. And so, Nathan Rabin says, like, the term itself has become just as cliche as the trope. It's just, again, like, it's again conveniently proving the original point Mm -hmm. is that just like we're not letting women be three-dimensional we're not listening to them we're not trying to figure out who they are or who they want or what they want Mm -hmm. and the fact that it could snowball into an insult against women yeah just proves nathan's original point of like we don't listen to women i think Mm -hmm. that that's something you and i have talked about before Mm -hmm. is We've both read that book Words Led by Amanda Montell. Mm-hmm. I was a linguistics major in college and we talk about how words that are neutral but have female connotations in language evolution pejorate over time, which means they pick up negative connotations mm-hmm. as language evolves. And yet male words systematically ameliorate over time, meaning they pick up positive connotations. And a classic example of this is sissy and buddy. Sissy and buddy used to just mean sister and brother. And yet sissy now means wimp and buddy means friend. Like how the fuck did we get here? But it's like, I am wholly unsurprised that Manic Pixie Dream Girl can be weaponized now against women because I've seen it like- Think about master versus mistress. Like, you get, you're a master in something, but if you're a mistress, like, you're someone that someone cheats with. Like, it happens all the time. Even the word feminist. I remember I did this, like, work trip to India, and one of my colleagues from India was saying, I mean, I believe in women's equality, but I'm not a feminist. And I was like, well, no, that doesn't track. Mm -hmm. And she shared with me that that's like a dirty word Mm -hmm. in India, is the word feminist feminism. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> That's how English works. I've seen it happen a hundred fucking times. Exactly. Yeah. The the fact that the term itself is now sexist when it was created yeah. <laughs> to highlight the sexist nature of this stereotype is so telling. It's, it's just such a satisfying full circle example of exactly. how like, even when we try to say women serve More roles in society at large than just being a sexy girlfriend who is impossibly thin but eats burgers with the dudes, and (laughs) you know, that whole thing and is not like other girls, and whatever the fuck Mm -hmm. that means. And yeah, I think the term is sexist now, insofar as throwing the label at any woman who might have Mm -hmm. any of the the characteristics of a man, a pixie dream girl, and just dismiss her as a shallow fantasy rather than like rather than taking away value from women who happen to only wear vintage clothes and listen to indie (laughs) rock like why don't we add in the idea that they're also human beings with that right it feels like when someone tweets like let's say a public figure tweets like oh this there is like institutionalized sexism in this industry or whatever and they're talking publicly about sexism and then they get just an onslaught of hate Mm. tweets back it's like like with this manic pixie dream girl evolution it it, it's like well that was predictable yeah (laughs) because clearly there is sexism because of the response i'm getting and that it feels like that's what's happening here is someone saying like there's this sexist thing going on and then it snowballs into a sexist thing (laughs) it's like because the the, the puppeteers (laughs) the puppeteers are all still the same it's still White, male writers and directors, mm-hmm. like, ok, first of all, you need to step away, and we're oh going to <laughs> hire some women to write this script now, right. And I right. assure you it will be more comprehensive <laughs> it just it just feels frustrating because it's like, this is predictable. And frankly, if it hadn't snowballed into a sexist thing it would have been like, well, wait a second. Maybe that sexism we were trying to critique in the first place isn't so bad. So it's like, you know what, the fact that this snowballed in the way it did does very much reinforce for me how sexist our society and our, like, cultural narratives and institutions still are. Mm -hmm. But it's frustrating in the same vein because then how do you start a productive conversation? You know, when you're a public figure tweeting about sexism, I mean, how how do you do that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, without going through cyberbullying? Like, the cyberbullying proves your point, but you're still going through cyberbullying. So, like, that's another thing that I get stuck, or where I get stuck, is... You want to bring up the Manic Pixie Dream Girl because you do want women to have some sort of multidimensionality. But now we've just completely invalidated all women who like ribbons and polka dots. Exactly. It's like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wh- why are these our options? Yeah. Why are <laughs> those the only options, Ellie? LA God. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, lessons for me, a big one is stop making women think that they should be different from other girls. Girls
1: mm-hmm.
0: Rock. Rock. And I want to be like other girls, okay? I want to like things that I like. And if they happen to be something a guy likes, I don't want to be told that that means I'm not like a girl. I am a girl. I am a woman. Mm -hmm. I happen to like certain things that are feminine, other things that are feminine I don't like. That doesn't mean that because I personally don't choose to wear makeup almost ever that that means that I'm down with the guys and I'm so cool. No. Like you're extrapolating something so simple, just a choice that I make mostly based off of laziness (laughs) 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 to mean that I'm cooler than a girl who is an artist and can make awesome shit happen to her face like that is really sick to me so that's sick that girls are awesome we should all want to be like girls I don't want to be told ever that you're not like other girls or you're a guy's girl or whatever the fuck it is because yeah as if there's any value in considering femininity inferior because then Mm -hmm. you're still part of the problem and so if you're telling someone that she's special because she's not feminine or because she's not like other girls Mm -hmm. it sounds like you have a problem with Mm -hmm. girls Mm -hmm. sounds like you don't like girls so much and i something you and i have talked about recently is the fact that my partner listened through the entire discography of Taylor Swift and Mm -hmm. rated every single album, rated all the tracks on the album. And it felt so legitimizing to me because I felt like I was always criticized for listening to Taylor Swift. And Mm -hmm. I always kind of hid that, or it always felt sort of embarrassing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, the fact that it was such a new feeling, to feel mm-hmm. legitimized by a mm-hmm. straight man listening to Taylor Swift and engaging in an intellectual discourse about it with me and talking about the evolution of her sound, I was like, oh, that's new. Yeah. And, like, that was the first time – not the first time, but it's, it's – upsetting that like there are so few times where i feel like straight men engage in feminine interests on a legitimate and serious level with me but i'm constantly like with my older brother i was always listening to like the latest j cole album or kanye west or kendrick lamar and we would we would sit on genius.com and read through all of kendrick's lyrics together but we never talked about taylor swift yeah you know what i mean like i would watch him play call of duty but he wouldn't ask me about my Urban Decay eyeshadow palette. Like, that's not a yeah. thing. Like, he wouldn't watch me do makeup. I watched him play Call of Duty. And that, mm-hmm. it's just... It's it's yeah. it's exactly the male is default thing that we always talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think also to clarify, like, when I say not wanting to be called like, oh, you're different from other girls or you're one of the guys, it's not because I think having masculine energy as a woman is bad. It's that that term and that narrative doesn't come from a place of oh it's totally fine if you're feminine Mm -hmm. and masculine and whatever intersection of those things and not those things because we don't live in this binary world that we pretend to live in whatever you are is fine it comes from a place of this fantasy of a woman who like i was saying earlier will have a six-pack but be able to match you beer for beer all night (laughs) and who has like who's girly in the ways you want her to be girly like has great tits and an ass and of not girly in the ways you don't want her to be she never calls you when you're out late with your boys she's so chill Ugh. always Ugh. looks perfect but doesn't wear makeup and doesn't do her hair and doesn't you know she takes five minutes to get out the door just like you so you can just go do your thing and you don't have to mm-hmm. be waiting on this girl getting ready and like oh my god so wanting all of these things is sexist because it's this fantasy of what would be the perfect woman for you rather than who are women. There are so many different types of women and people that aren't women yes. and femininity. And there's such a beautiful breadth of all of that. And to expect that the only way that you're going to be loved by a man if that's who you want to be loved by, that you need to conform to this manic pixie dream girl thing where you're not allowed to have an original thought. Mm -hmm. You need to cater to their every need and be this sounding board and exciting, charming person who never has a problem of her own and who's down for all the things he wants you to be down for. And if you're not, you're cast aside as, ugh, just another girl who doesn't get off my ass and whatever. And I think that, like, I've also chatted with women on this matter, and a lot of and a lot of times I get pushback where they're like, "But I'm not like other girls, and I think what I always say to that is a hundred percent you are unique, a hundred percent you are you and no one else' is. that means you're not like other people mm-hmm. but be wary of when people say or if you're straight and you're entertaining this relationship with a man and mm-hmm. he's saying you're not like other girls like that for me is something that I would consider a red flag because I guess I guess I just want the takeaway to be. If you've ever been made fun of for liking Taylor Swift, or if you feel silly for loving makeup, or you feel, I don't know, silly for enjoying chick flicks, Mm -hmm. that's, like, I just, I want the takeaway to be that you're not silly, and that you're Mm -hmm. not frivolous, and that your interests matter, and everyone is out here doing, everyone is out here having inconsequential interests. Like, if you, like, model planes, that is no more special to me Mm -hmm. than... Like being excited about a new makeup look you're going to try. Like Mm -hmm. both require dexterity and research and practice. Mm -hmm. And they're the same. I just, I I want people to not feel silly for liking polka dots and ribbons. And I also obviously want men not to fucking keep all of their emotional needs onto this partner that they expect to Mm -hmm. come serve them. Let everyone that isn't a cis man be Mm -hmm. just be just be whatever it is they are and don't invalidate it because it doesn't match the dream that this boring man stereotype as well Mm -hmm. like we're so over that are you serious like we're still on this come on just remember too it's all made up every last thing (laughs) is completely fucking fake like the fact that we gender colors, the fact that we gender smells, I mean, th- yeah. like you literally walk into a grocery store and there are male deodorants and female deodorants, which is the dumbest shit. And all of the female deodorants say like, I don't know, like spring lavender. And then like the male deodorants are like spicy, whatever the fuck. I don't know. Yeah. I don't really read their <laughs> labels, but Musky. I'm sure <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there's a gender difference <laughs> and a price difference <laughs> and a price difference, of course. But it's it's all made up. Like, pink mm-hmm. used to be a color that male wore historically. And now it's for this brief moment in history associated with, for whatever reason, women... And in 100 years, it might not be. Like, we're living in a brief, like, moment in time Mm -hmm. where currently pink is feminine, currently dresses are feminine, currently heels are feminine. If you look at a single painting from Western Europe 300 Mm -hmm. years ago, you will see so many men with long hair and dresses and heels. Like, this is, it's all made up. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't say anything about who you are or your ability to perform your gender. Like, like what you like, you are not frivolous, Mm -hmm. and this is just we're not no one no one's a manic pixie dream girl whether you like the things that they supposedly like or not and you're not a dream you're a person and people should treat you as such yeah (laughs) you are allowed to have needs Mm -hmm. and your interests are valid exactly so i mean that's all i got Well, thank you so much. I'm gonna go um, tumble around in a meadow. So I'll catch you later. Okay, (laughs) sounds good. I'm gonna go file my taxes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Bye. Bye. Ultra Colander is produced by Elisa Nolasco and Audra Fitzgerald. Show art by Angela Cho and music by Santiago Hervella. Research for each episode is conducted independently and is for entertainment purposes only. Information shared in the show reflects the best we know at this moment in time. And there is always more to learn.